Hi, welcome back to The Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And we're here with another science fiction baddie. Here to close out our Earth versus Space month of sorts. <laughs> Annihilation from 2018. I think we should dive right in. Yeah, tell me about our ladies. Okay, so first we have Natalie Portman. Hell yeah. As Lena. We know Natalie Portman. She's our Israeli-born American actress, known for her breakthrough role as Padme and other roles in Closer, for which she won a Golden Globe Award. I have never seen this movie. I need to. And of course, Black Swan from 2010, for which she won her Academy Award for Best Actress and so much more. We have Jennifer Jason Lee as Dr. Ventress. She's an American actress best known for her 1990 breakthrough roles in Last Exit to Brooklyn and Miami Blues. And she's known for being in The Hateful Eight, for which she was nominated for a Golden Globe and Academy Award for her supporting performance. Next, we have Gina Rodriguez as Anya Thorinson. She is best known for her role as Jane in the hit series Jane the Virgin, for which she won a Golden Globe Award in 2015. And whenever I think of Jane the Virgin, I think of you, because one time we had a class in college. Yeah. And we were required to watch that. And it was cool. Fun fact, she's also the voice of Gina Alvarez on Big Mouth, which I did not know. I did you know that? that? I didn't know that, but I love that she I is. I know. I love that too. We love Big Mouth. Next, we have Tessa Thompson as Josie Raddick. She is an American actress and producer. She has been in several notable films and TV shows, including 2014's Dear White People, 2014's Selma, all three Creed movies, and much more. She's been really in a lot of things. And finally, we have Tuva Novotny as Cassie Cass Shepard, and she is a actress, director, and singer. She starred in many films, primarily Swedish films, So getting into some pre-plot trivia from IMDb and Wikipedia, Annihilation is directed by Alex Garland, who is best known for his film 2015's Ex Machina, which we talked about before. Also, the random film that's coming back into my life, he has writing credits for The Beach 2000, which we talked about in our Descent episode, which Saskia Mulder stars in. So I got to see this movie. It's probably going to be awful, but (laughs) the universe is telling me to watch this movie. Due to a poorly received test screening, David Ellison, a financer and producer at Skydance, became concerned that the film was, quote, too intellectual and too complicated and demanded changes to make it appeal to a wider audience, including making Portman's character more sympathetic and changing the ending. Producer Scott Rudin sided with the director who did not want to alter the film. Rudin, who had the final cut privilege, defended the film and refused to take notes from Ellison. I don't think Natalie Portman's character is unsympathetic. I don't think so either. I think her character was very sympathetic. I thought they were all pretty sympathetic. We'll get there and we'll return to this idea of her sympatheticness. So the film is adapted from a 2014 novel by Jeff Vandermeer, also titled Annihilation, which is the first in the Southern Reach trilogy, which I had no idea. So that's really cool. And if it's the first of a trilogy, what happens from here? Are we going to see more of this? Yeah, I want to know. Yeah, I want to know too. Director Alex Garland decided not to reread the novel Annihilation. (laughs) Instead, he decided to adapt it like a dream of the book. Sounds about right. It does sound about right. It also sounds a little like, I don't feel like studying. But hey, he had an artist's vision and I respect that. Natalie Portman had stated earlier in her career that she'd never be in a horror movie. And she happily changed her mind to appear in Black Swan 2010 and this film as her exceptions, as she really wanted to work with the filmmakers. 
Scheduling conflicts prevented her from appearing in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies from 2016, which she auditioned for in one. We should do Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. There we go. You would have a fucking ball with that. That has to happen at some point. Other super famous actresses were considered for roles in Annihilation, including Frances McDormand for the role of Dr. Ventress. She's an Academy Award winner as well. Also, Julianne Moore and Tilda Swinton for non-specified roles. I could see Julianne Moore being Dr. Ventress so fucking well, though. Me too. Also, Tilda Swinton. Yeah. They all kind of seem like they could be Dr. Ventress really easily. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's my pre-plot trivia. So let's get into the plot, shall we? Yeah. So we open with Lena, a.k.a. Natalie Portman, in a room with men in hazmat suits. They are questioning her about an experience that she recently ended, a mission that she was on. They ask how long she felt she was away, and she said it could have been days, it could have been weeks. She also goes on to say that all of her crew are dead or missing, and the hazmat suits question her, what do you know? And then we cut to the title card sequence where there is a comet flaring toward Earth and crashing into a lighthouse. There's lots of scientific imagery of atoms splitting and vortexes and cosmos, a lot of that kind of shit happening. And then the title card happens and cuts to Lena, who is a college professor, explaining how cells work to her class. That all cells are ultimately born from one cell and mutate from there on out. The class ends, and then Lena is invited to dinner with a colleague, which she declines. This colleague seems a little insistent on trying to get her to come out, saying, Lena, it's been a year, you're allowed to come to a barbecue, it's not a betrayal to his memory, but she refuses and walks off. So, okay, who's his memory? Who's this colleague? I think his name is Dan. He comes back a little bit later. But instead, we get panning shots of an empty house with Lena and her supposed hubby who might be missing. One of the excuses that Lena uses to stay home from the barbecue is that she has to paint the bedroom. (laughs) So in the next scene, after these flashbacks with this mysterious man who, yeah, is probably her hubby, we see her painting. And as she's painting, we see a man enter the house who resembles the man from the flashback. But we're not sure, is this some kind of extended version of the flashback or is this husband actually home? It turns out that it is her husband and he is actually home. Lena sees him, embraces him. He greets her upstairs as she paints, but he seems off, distant, traumatized. They chat some more in the kitchen and she asks him questions about where the fuck he was. He was gone for a year. There was no communication. Lena clearly thought he was dead. She is getting more and more annoyed as he remains very cold and distant from her. She asks how he got home and he responds sort of incoherently. She seems to start picking up on the fact that something is wrong, just like us. And then he starts to bleed. So something is very, very wrong. As they are rushed off in an ambulance, they are run off the road by a police cohort. Lena freaks out as these officials tranquilize her. And next thing we know, she wakes up in Area X, which looks to be some kind of prison or hospital. Yeah, so Lena wakes up and scrubs in a room. She's vomiting as she's watched by who we learn to be Dr. Ventress. Ventress enters, starts stating facts at her. You were in the army. Your husband Kane was in the army. You stopped being in the army. Kane continued being in the army. (laughs) And then asks about what Kane told Lena of his experiences of the mission that he was on. And it's very clear that she's protective of that information, but Lena doesn't really let up very much. 
But it is revealed that Kane, who is Lena's husband, is experiencing massive internal bleeding and organ failure. Lena thinks it's radiation or a virus, and Ventress doesn't seem too concerned about any of these facts. Instead, she walks Lena outside, where they see a very misty, spooky outside via Stranger Things. <laughs> it's very, like, upside-down looking, and Ventress gives context that three years ago, a shimmer appeared around a lighthouse and has continued growing. They've since sent in teams of people, no one comes back, the shimmer keeps expanding, Kane is the only one to have returned from the shimmer, but he's dying. Mm-hmm. And the shimmer basically looks like a giant iridescent force field. It looks like a bubble. Yeah! Like you blow a bubble and you look on the outside what of it and it's very fuck? multicolored and like whimsical, but the inside you can tell is very upside downy and dangerous. Absolutely. Then we get a flashback. This movie is a little bit like Inception. Like, of course, we start with present day where Lena has clearly returned from her journey into the Shimmer. But then we flash back to before she ventured into the Shimmer. And then, of course, we have this other set of flashbacks even further to Lena and Kane's life together before he leaves. So we are now in a flashback flashback. (laughs) Kane and Lena are talking in bed. There's some cute, nerdy flirting, but Lena confronts him about his silence. Something is wrong. Is he worried about his next mission? He doesn't know information on it. That or he can't tell information on it. You know, this is a probably a covert mission. He has to be silent about these things. But then, of course, there's this dialogue. He's mentioning, you know, are you going to look up at the stars and think of me? She's like, is that what you think I do? I pine after you. So again, we're getting these flashback flashbacks that contextualize this relationship. So far, it seems like these two have a really lovely marriage. They're very much in love. So later, Lena has Anya introduce herself to her as she's looking outside at the Shimmer, and Anya invites her to meet the crew. She's introduced to Cassie and then Josie. They're all scientists. They're studying the Shimmer. They've all been there differing amounts of time. They reveal that they are the team that is headed into the Shimmer in six days, those three plus Dr. Ventress. They have two theories about what happens within the Shimmer. Something kills them, or they go crazy and start killing each other. And then the three of them, them being Anya, Cassie, and Josie, start talking about Kane, not knowing who Kane is to Lena, mm-hmm. saying, you know, Kane's gone crazy. You know what state he's made it out in. So Lena's just kind of sitting there listening to them talk about her husband, not knowing his significance to her, and she chooses not to share that. We see Lena visiting Kane. She says that she's sorry and she knows what she has to do. Later, she's seen talking to Ventress and reveals that she kept her connection to Kane a secret from the rest of them. She questions why Ventress is going in and she says she's tired of watching. She needs to know for herself what's inside after sending so many people in there. And Lena states that she wants to go with them because she can't do anything for Kane here. We cut back to the present present. <laughs> Lena is being interrogated post-Shimmer and explaining that she felt like she owed Kane, so she went in. So even though we have these nice flashbacks that seem to be characterizing a really lovely marriage, we're also sowing this mystery here, the sense of why would Lena feel like she owed Kane? Is it because she loved him? Is it because of something else? Of course, that scene that you just mentioned, Shay, like, telling him, I know why you went in. Are we going to find out what that reason is? So there's definitely some mystery being sown here. 
So back to Area X, the team is preparing to enter the Shimmer with Lena. Of course, she's added to the scene. And it seems to be making these like low rumble sounds as they approach, which I think is so creepy. And they enter. I also wrote Ventress is freaking me out. But why did I write that? What was she doing? She's so deadpan. Yeah. I think it codes her a little bit as, oh, is she a menace or is she not a menace? She's kind of giving Ash from alien energy. Yeah, yes. So they enter the shimmer. Right as Lena enters, we get another flashback. Lena had an affair with Dan. Mm -hmm. Barbecue Dan. Barbecue Dan. And that's it. That's all we see. We just see like a brief moment of them in bed together in Lena and Kane's bed, by the way. It's in the bedroom. And it appears to be after a period of separation where Kane wasn't responsive and maybe Kane was thought to be presumed dead at that point or back from his mission already. But I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe we're giving her too much credit. But we're also getting information that even if that specific flashback is post-Kane entering Shimmer, that their affair began before he Mm. entered the Shimmer. So this is something that maybe they've revisited after Kane left, but it's not new. So then Lena wakes up in the tent and joins the rest of the girls outside. None of them remember anything after entering the tree line, but the food rations make it look like they've been out here for three or four days, which no one remembers. Oh my gosh, that's so scary. They have no signals from their electronics that make it out of the shimmer. Their compass doesn't work. They don't have coordinates. There's no landmarks. But Ventress is undeterred. She tells them to pack it up and get moving. So they make it to a swamp where there is strange flowers growing side by side that don't belong together genetically, according to Lena. Josie is then pulled into a shed from behind and then into the water, pulling her by her backpack. And it's weird because inside the shed, there's a body of water inside the house where it looks like the surface of the water is like half on the wall and also half on the ground. Like it doesn't look like it's a organic shape of water, if that makes sense. Oh, I didn't even notice that. It looks like it's everywhere. I don't know. But something shoots out of the water and that something turns out to be a super big alligator Super, super big. Super big alligator. Theta. Theta's yes, here. Theta. Theta's here. But there's lots of shooting at the gator as it charges them, but Lena ends up killing it. And as they examine it, they say that the gator is a crossbreed, that it has DNA of multiple other animals. Because I think there's like piranha teeth in the back of its throat or something. It has multiple rows of teeth like a shark. Yes. Yeah. Which I'm like, you could have told me that. And I'd be like, yep, that's the case. Back to a flash forward. Yes, she is talking about the mutations she saw with the guys in the interrogation room and basically feeling in more context, you know, that she's realizing the DNA of these beings inside the Shimmer is being changed and altered. So back to inside the Shimmer with the team, Cassie asks about Lena's past. And Cassie kind of gives me Beth energy from the descent. Like she's really friendly. She seems to be such a genuinely caring person, really easy to talk to. Lena mentions that her husband was killed in action. Of course, she doesn't want to let the team know that she has this connection to this man who kind of has a controversial story going on right now. And Cassie mentions that they're all damaged goods, which is really interesting. So she talks about Anya being sober. She had battled addiction. Josie hides scars on her arms from a history of self-harm. Ventress has no friends. And Cassie herself had lost a daughter. To cancer. Oh, to cancer? Yeah, to leukemia. Oh. Which is funny because cancer is all like cells mutating and oh, you not wait. funny, but like. No, you wait. 
So they pull up on a grassy field entering Fort Amaya, which was the first station that was made to study the shimmer that has since been overtaken by the shimmer. Oh, this is so scary. It is creepy. So Cassie says it used to be the headquarters before the shimmer swallowed it. They decide to explore and they see a bunch of multicolored mosses as mutations on the wall. They enter and they find other people's stuff that are no longer there. And Lena looks and sees a list of soldiers' names on tapes on the wall, kind of like mapping out a schedule of chores or duties. And Kane's name is one of them. They're guard rotations. They end up finding a camcorder and they look at the footage to find a video of Kane cutting into another soldier's abdomen to reveal something crawling inside of him. It looks like his intestines... Are snakes. Yes. Like, they're all moving. Yes. And of course, this is deeply disturbing to the team who has now seen this, especially because these men in the video, with the exception of Kane, who is back at the base, is nowhere to be found. Is it Anya who's like, oh, it was just a trick of the light? Like, one of them tries yeah, to like, explain Anya? it away. Anya is in deep denial, and I am like, I am Anya. I love watching these movies and being like, who am I? I'm <laughs> always the one who starts to become unhinged first. And look, why shouldn't she? She should get to be a little unhinged. That's a terrifying thing to see. But later, oh my god, I wrote, they find, <laughs> I wrote later they find a spooky, spooky butthole on the wall of an old pool in the base. Well, yeah, I thought you were going to say they find like the king of the north sitting in a pool because it's literally, it looks like a this throne. Is, this is the moment. King of the south, maybe. King of the <laughs> south. <laughs> I was like, we have dealt with vaginas, dicks, but this is the first movie where buttholes are abound. After watching it and reading about it, I don't think that's what they were supposed to look like, unfortunately, but it is notable that that is what they look like. Yeah, they find a man on an overgrown throne of moss and foliage. The body parts are way too far apart. Josie's like, listen, I don't want to stay here. Ventress says it's too late for them to move on with the daylight running out. Lena decides to take some samples and they all climb a watchtower and decide on who's going to keep watch overnight. I cannot believe that Lena had the balls to go up to that and take a sample. Mm -mm. They kept going up to this moss and these flowers and dead man spread out all over this wall. Faces too close. Faces too close. Faces too close. We get another flashback to pre-Kane leaving on his mission. He wakes up next to Lena. She asks him what's up and he says he has to leave early for his mission. He has to leave that day. He's very somber and he says that he loves her and leaves. I think this is Kane knowing about the affair though. It is. Because he says, I do love you. Like he says it so painfully. Yes. And Lena senses the tension. It seems like Kane is leaving early by his own decision. It doesn't seem like, oh no, I'm so sad and devastated. It seems intentional. Back to the shimmer, Lena can't sleep, so she inspects the sample that she found in a microscope. And Cass wakes up and checks in with Lena because she's just such a good friend. Cassie is like, I'm just as freaked out as everybody else. I'm just good at hiding it. Lena then goes to check in on Ventress, who is currently on watch, and shows her a map with the plan to check out this little town that was evacuated two years earlier before hitting up the lighthouse the next day. So it seems like they're about two days out from their ultimate destination, which is that original lighthouse we saw the meteor-type object hit at the beginning of the film. 
And then Lena asks why Kane would have volunteered for such a suicide mission. And Ventress says it's probably more self-destruction. There's not decisions, just impulses. Isn't self-destruction coded in us all in each cell? And once you find out like why Ventress is actually there, it's like, oof. This is probably one of the most significant moments of dialogue in the Mm -hmm. film. It's starting to connect the dots via this theme of self-destruction versus motivation. But then there's a noise. Of course, there's a fucking noise. Everyone's awake. They all come down with their guns on guard. And I wrote a fucking idiot bear. (laughs) There's a stupid, stupid bear that shows up, busts through the fence, bites onto Cass, and drags her away outside of the bounds of the fence. The only bigger idiot bear is (laughs) Christian in Midsummer. (laughs) Yeah. He is the biggest idiot bear. He's the biggest idiot bear. But yes, they chase after her and lose her. Next morning, they're assessing what they want to do. Anya and Josie want to go back. Ventress wants to keep going. Anya calls Ventress a crazy old bitch, which she is. Yes. Anya asks Lena to pick a side. And Lena says, they'll get out by going deeper. I think her logic was, we're already in the center, or even farther to the other side of the shimmer than the center. So we might as well keep going, because once we get where we are, we can just move out the other side. That's what I think she was trying to say. But also, the meteor hit a lighthouse. Like, there's water on the other side of that. So they can't really get out the other side of the shimmer. There's water. But I think she's thinking once they reach the coast, it would be a straight shot back to the side of the shimmer instead of going back through the woods. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. And I can get on board with that. But then there's a flash forward where the hazmat suits say to Lena, you lied to them. Mm Mm-hmm. This is when the main hazmat suit man says Ventress had cancer. There was no coming back. Which I think this is the first time we hear that Ventress had cancer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which of course helps us understand her motivations to keep going much more clearly. So the team pushes on. They find Cassie's bloody shoe. Lena says she could still be alive and goes to look for her. And as she's searching, she sees two really pretty bony white deer. Their antlers are so pretty. They are. They look really mystical. They're really pretty in the clearing in the woods. And then they just scamper away. And she moves forward then and ends up finding Cassie's dead body. I think it's an interesting moment, like the juxtaposition between these gorgeous, mutated, deer-like creatures. And then, of course, finding Cassie's body. It reminds me of... Not to go all English teacher, but Tim O'Brien's book, The Things They Carried, like being in war and he talks about the beautiful moments, which we might not always think about. This moment kind of reminds me of that, those descriptions in that novel. And then we get some justification as to like why these mutations are happening in the next scene. Because they press on, they arrive at another building of sorts. It looks like a farmhouse. Anya's upset. She's tired because now they're seeing plant people. Yeah. Structures of human beings that are made up entirely of vegetation and flowers, which look very beautiful, but are haunting if you think that they were people. Yeah, it looks like they were people that turned into flowers, even though the first interpretation is that they are plants that learned how to grow in the form of a human. Right. So Josie says that light waves are refracted, so their radio signals aren't blocked, they're just scrambled. So the plant people are people, their sequences are just scrambled. So that is why all of these mutations are occurring within the shimmer. It is not that things are coming in and going out. It's that every being's essence is hitting the shimmer and bouncing back and everybody's shit is mixing with each other, which is presuming that these plant people are indeed people that turned into plants. Yeah. (sighs) But it's, again, this strangely beautiful moment. 
Yeah, not comforting to Anya. No, no, no. <laughs> not comforting to me. No. But I mean, if I had to be mutated into anything, like a pretty flower bush. That'd be the one. That would be pretty good. Better than an alligator with two rows of teeth. You That's know true. So the team continues exploring the town and they enter a house, which looks a lot like the flashback house for Lena, like her house. Oh, yeah, that's true. It, like the layout is very similar in the color scheme. As Anya sits down in a chair to rest, she looks down at her hand and it seems like she sees something move underneath the surface of her skin. Lena sees, at least she sees Anya notice something. She sees Anya seeing things. Yes, but Anya hides her hand. Later, Lena wakes up, they had all been sleeping, I suppose, and tests her bruise that she had gotten earlier on their expedition and finds under the microscope the mutating cells similar to the previous samples that she has pulled. And she's realizing that her body is now mutating as well. So this is intercut with her fucking Dan while Kane sits at the kitchen table, like a lot of mixed imagery again, like mm-hmm. this refracting of images yes. all becoming one. Lena is telling Dan it was a mistake to sleep together. Lena says that Kane knows about their affairs and tells him to go. That's never going to happen again. But then we see that she wakes up with Anya holding a gun over her, calls her a lying bitch and knocks her out. And then we're cut to a scene of Anya having tied up Ventress, Lena, and Josie. Anya calls Lena out for not telling them about how she knew Kane and reveals that she stole Lena's locket, which has a picture of her and Kane inside of it. Anya repeats her theories. Theory one, in terms of the Shimmer killing them, fits with how Josie was attacked by the gator, but not with how Cass died, because Josie and Anya didn't see the bear, only Ventress and Lena did, and now they are not trustworthy because Ventress is with the organization, and Lena is with the man that's also with the organization. Anya calls Lena a liar and accuses her of killing Cass. Anya is freaking out and saying that she can see her fingerprints moving. She's sobbing. She says, if I let you go and you tie me to a chair and cut me open, are my insides going to move like my fingerprints? But I'm not the one tied to a chair. You are. (gasps) So just when we think Anya is about to cut open Lena's insides to see what's going on in there, we hear Cass screaming outside. So Anya runs outside to get to Cass, where she is promptly attacked by the bear. Now Anya is incapacitated. The bear slowly enters the house where Ventress and Lena are tied up to chairs and helpless. And as the bear enters and sniffs around, we learn that through its exhales, it is the one making the Cassie scream noises. It's the Rubens flowers. Yes! So the bear is about to eat Josie when Anya re-enters and shoots at the bear a bunch of times, but the bear gets to her before she can kill it, killing her, of course. And next it comes for Lena, but Josie is able to get out of her bindings and kill the bear with a machine gun, and the bear is done. So Ventress, again, is like, let's go. We got places to be. (laughs) And says they're disintegrating and they need to reach the lighthouse so she can end this journey for herself. They, I guess, decide to wait till the next morning or sunrise is happening at the same time. I'm not quite sure. Josie and Lena do. Yeah, right. Ventress goes off and they wait. Okay. So Lena joins Josie in the garden and Josie asks how long Kane was in the shimmer because she's not sure he could have left intact with how long they've even been in there. Lena says that she's checked on their blood, says the shimmer is inside of them. 
Josie says that due to the refraction, Anya became part of the thing that killed her. Due to the refraction, there's no way that Anya and the bear couldn't have been of the same things. So she's saying that metaphorically, it's crazy that Anya killed herself because Josie is becoming a flower person at this point, right? Uh So in her mind, because all of these energies are getting refracted, there was part of Anya that existed in the bear. So isn't it crazy that Anya had a hand in killing herself because the bear mauled Anya to death? Oh, that's what she's saying. Or that's what I took. Well, that makes sense. That's when she mentions that part of Cass became part of the bear because the bear was exhaling Cassie's screams. Oh, true. So maybe it's a little bit of both. But I remember her saying something about Anya was part of the thing that, that had her own sense. hand in her death or something. Yeah, if Josie didn't kill the bear, I'm sure that the bear would have started exhaling a combination of these women's screams. Essentially, this is working to say that Josie is starting to accept what the Shimmer is doing to them. She says, Ventress wants to face it. You want to fight it. And I don't think I want either of those things. And she walks away from Lena and flowers start growing out of her as she walks further, further into the woods. And as Lena follows her, Josie disappears and is a flower person now. Again, strangely beautiful. What's going on? But now it's just Lena because Ventress is well ahead of them in the lighthouse and Lena is by herself. So we get to the lighthouse. The movie seems like it's broken up into three parts. This is where we get our third title card. The lighthouse. And then we cut to a crying Lena. She is obviously upset and pushes on to make it to the lighthouse. Now she's on the beach and we see these crystal trees growing out of the sand on the beach. I said, snow on the beach, Taylor Swift, Lana Del Rey. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it reminds me of the movie Sweet Home Alabama. He like puts lightning rods in the sand and when the lightning strikes, it makes these cool glass formations. I've never seen it. With Reese Witherspoon? Mm -mm. Oh, it's so bad, but so bad. (laughs) Anyway, crystal trees, snow on the beach. We also see a big, big white vine climbing the tower with another butthole. (laughs) Okay. Again, it kind of looks like a vortex or a black hole, like some kind of growth. We see like a circle of skulls on the sand right at the entrance of the lighthouse. Lena enters, we see another gigantic growth butthole on the floor of the lighthouse. And we notice that there's like the burnt remains of a person sitting cross-legged on the ground with a camera quarter pointed at them. So Lena walks over and plays back the video. And in the video, the man sitting on the floor is Kane. So what is going on? He starts the camera, goes over to the wall and sits down, just like we see the remains in front of us now. He says, I thought I was a man. I had a life. People called me Cain. And now I'm not so sure. I wasn't Cain, was I? Was I you? Were you me? My flesh moves like liquid. My mind is cut loose. I can't bear it. I can't bear it. I can't bear it. I can't bear it. If you ever get out of here, find Lena, and then someone behind the camera agrees. And we're like, there's another person here? Oh my god, I didn't notice that. Yeah, because then he blows himself up on camera and then not Kane walks in front of the thing. And that's the guy who left the shimmer. That's right. I didn't realize he came from behind the camera. I no. thought he like materialized from the grenade blast. No, because Kane says, if you ever get out of here, find Lena and like nods at somebody <gasps> and they say, I will. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So now we see that the Kane that got out of the shimmer was the Kane duplicate. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Lena <laughs> is probably like, what the fuck? She shuts off the camera and turns her attention to a butthole on the wall. A butthole on the wall. She could hear talking from within, some mumbling. She enters the rectum and finds Ventress. Her face is all smooth. She seems to be mutated even further. Lena gets her attention, but when Ventress turns around, she appears to be normal again. 
She says, we spoke, what was it we said, that I needed to know what was inside the lighthouse. That moment's past. It's inside me now. It's not like us. It's unlike us. I don't know what it wants, or if it wants, but it will grow until it encompasses everything. Our bodies and minds will be fragmented into their smallest parts until no parts remain. Annihilation. Leo DiCaprio pointing. Yeah. Leo DiCaprio pointing. Mm, we love a movie title moment paired with a definition moment. And then she pukes up some cute lights in Cosmos. Yeah, she becomes the cosmos as she disintegrates. And as she disintegrates, an EDM black hole takes her place. I've heard this sound before on TikTok. I didn't realize this electronic music was from Annihilation. Isn't it great about TikTok sounds being from horror movies? Like the, yes. like the, don't say that. Like it's from the Candyman remake. Yes. Like, oh my God, there's so many things. It's very trippy. Or the craft with, you don't even exist to me or whatever the fuck she says. And the love witch. Oh my gosh. Fucking love it. As this orb takes Ventress's place, Lena stands staring at it. And does her nose begin to bleed? Her eyes begin to bleed. Oh, nice. (laughs) Am I? What am I doing? This is when I'm probably freaking out. As her eyes begin to bleed, the force draws in a drop of her blood and the blood starts to duplicate. We see that cell duplication process happening in front of us, leaving this shiny humanoid thing. So she crawls out of the asshole (laughs) (laughs) and the being is standing there watching her. It's like Elise said, metallic. It has no face or features and it mimics her movement as she makes them. So it's circling her. And then I think it knocks her out at one point. Yes. So Lena's on the floor and the creature lays next to her and again is mimicking her movements as she rises. It won't let her leave. It presses her body against the door until she passes out again. There's more mimicking. And then the creature's skin begins to mimic her as they both hold a grenade. So I guess there was another grenade next to Kane. And Lena puts it in the being's hand. And as she touches the being, it replicates her almost exactly. Like it's another copy of her as she touches it. But she places the grenade in its hand, steps back, ignites it, runs away, and it explodes. And the being catches on fire and then subsequently sets everything else on fire. Like as the being stumbles back, touches the wall, the growth on the wall, everything catches on fire and starts burning away, eventually reaching the shimmer itself, the force field bubble, and then the shimmer disappears. I remember writing, there's something to say about self-destruction here. I just don't know what it is. Yeah, I mean, she literally blows herself up. Like, Kane. But she blows up what appears to be the replica of her. Kane blows himself up, leaving his replica behind. Which is, how many times do I say interesting on this podcast? It really is, though. What does that mean? Especially because we're then put back into the present where she's being interviewed. And the hazmat suit guy says, so it was an alien. Can you describe its form? What did it actually want? She says, it mirrored me. I attacked it. I'm not even sure it even knew I was there. It was mutating our environment, so it was destroying everything. And if it wasn't destroying, it was making something new. She's pretty much saying that the Shimmer was only doing what we do to ourselves. And if that is destroying itself, then that's what it was doing. It was trying to destroy me. But the second that I embraced it, it wasn't trying to hurt me anymore. Which, again, might just be an allegory for nature. I don't know. Or therapy. (laughs) (laughs) But it also turns out that when the shimmer disappeared, the cane in the hospital started to stabilize. Lena is able to go see him. She sits down on the bed and says, you aren't Kane, are you? And he responds, I don't think so. Are you Lena? And then he hugs her 
And as they embrace, we get the image of Cain's eyes glowing with a sort of amber hue, which makes sense because we already think he's the replica. But then we get a shot of Lena's eyes, which are also glowing with this amber hue. And the film concludes. So I'm really interested to see what you got post-plot. So I basically wanted to just copy and paste this entire article I found from Collider called Annihilation Explained, Unpacking Alex Garland's Brilliant Trippy Sci-Fi Horror Film by Matt Goldberg. I'm going to move through some of the more relevant pieces I found, but this whole article is really cool. So if you like what you hear, there's definitely more that I didn't touch on that he explains. Goldberg says, no one in the movie says it's about cancer, but it's clear within the first 15 minutes that the premise of Garland's movie is basically what if the earth, that is the planet itself, got cancer, and then the movie moves forward from that premise. We immediately settle right into the movie's core metaphor right from Lena's first lecture at Johns Hopkins. She talks about cell division, particularly how cells rapidly divide and mutate. We then cut back three years earlier when a mysterious something struck a lighthouse in the southern reach and that thing started expanding. The unexplained phenomenon makes a good stand-in for how cancer strikes. Everything is normal and then it's not, and in its place is something that's mutating and, like the shimmer, expanding. Once Lena and the team are inside the shimmer, they start noticing mutations, and those mutations represent cancer, the tumor at the heart of the shimmer, affecting other cells. Everything gets messed up because of mutations, and as Radek later explains to the group, they're basically inside of a prism, so everything is refracting. Minds, bodies, everything gets screwed up because that's what cancer does to a healthy body. Annihilation remains consistent, constantly showing mutations, but mutations as they would occur on a body. Garland wisely abstains from presenting everything as simply gross or beautiful. There's a calculated indifference. Life grows and mutates. And sometimes you might see something beautiful like a white skeletal deer with branches for antlers. And sometimes you might get Scream Bear, the bear made of screams. (laughs) (laughs) Although Garland loosely adapted Jeff Vandermeer's novel of the same name, certain details bolster the cancer metaphor. For example, the expedition team is all women. From a plot perspective, this is explained by pointing out that the previous teams were men, and this could change the results of the expedition. However, it's also worth noting that the most common form of cancer is breast cancer, which largely affects women. Additionally, even though all the characters are mostly doctors of some kind, the only character referred to repeatedly as doctor is Dr. Ventress. Although she's a psychologist by trade, her function in the story has little to do with psychology and more with seeing people go inside the shimmer and not return. That wouldn't be too different from an oncologist who loses a lot of patients. Of course, knowledge is no defense against cancer, and Ventress literally has cancer in the movie. Cancer relates to Lena's flashbacks in much the same way that Lena's self-destruction creates a cancer in her marriage. Lena's story is basically the heart of the movie. If you cut out her strained relationship with her husband, her guilt over cheating on him, and her desperation to find something that might be able to save him, then you have a movie that's still fascinating, but also cold. There's no emotional center to it because you just have five people walking through cancer. Everything in the flashbacks is the humanity that's tied to each individual. Our regrets, our hopes, our dreams. For Lena, her story is about trying to find redemption. That's why when she talks about trying to rescue Kane, she doesn't say, I love him. She says, I owe him. As the movie goes on and we get closer to the shimmer, we lose Shepard and Thornson, and Garland wisely doesn't make that surprising. He tells us in the opening minutes that those characters die, and then lets us wonder what exactly happened to Radek and Ventress. 
But the ending for all four characters is basically death of some kind. Radic notes that Ventress, quotes, wants to face it, and Lena, quote, wants to fight it, but she chooses to just accept it. Sometimes people go violently and others slip away. There's not a single kind of, quote, cancer death. The lighthouse itself has a growth highly reminiscent of a tumor. If Garland simply wanted to show death in all its forms, he would have used different imagery like blood or ashes. It's also telling that Ventress, the only character who literally has cancer, goes through the literal definition of annihilation as it relates to physics. Quote, the conversion of matter into energy, especially the mutual conversion of a particle and an antiparticle into electromagnetic radiation. For his part, in an interview at Google, Garland said that the movie is about self-destruction and on a metaphysical level, annihilation certainly has that. Ventress and Lena even have a conversation saying how self-destruction and suicide aren't the same thing. But if you look at Annihilation as a movie about cancer, then that self-destruction becomes, in a sense, literal. Cancer is a destruction of the self by biological means, and Annihilation shows that self-destruction reflected in the environment. When we think self-destruction, we usually think of someone trashing their apartment or drinking heavily. In Annihilation, we see it on a biological level. This makes this feel so much more like a body horror film than I originally took it to be. And I love that. I mean, how Ventress dies is so significant, obviously, but also how that cancer, in a sense, spreads to Lena and forces her to have her own externalization of her methods of self-destruction by literally her own self suffocating her or this own version of self not letting her escape not letting her run away because that's what she wants to do she wants to like run away out of the lighthouse and then it suffocates her and it's like i'm doing what you're doing and it's weird that her blowing that self up is what allows her to escape so what is that actually saying about why it is she was able to leave the shimmer mm-hmm. what is that saying about this relationship with the faux cane is it that all the things that were genuine about their bond or all the things that made them them are no longer them anymore because they're both the shimmer i don't know there is speculation on that too like is it a metaphor for the changes that a couple goes through when faced with trials in a marriage there is also ambiguity in whether or not the lena we see throughout the movie is the one that makes it out because there's that moment where she is knocked out and when she comes to it looks like folina folina <laughs> it sounds like i'm saying like is one name fake poser Lena (laughs) is staring back at her, but some people speculate that maybe there was some kind of swap that took place, like some kind of transition. And that's why at the end we see Lena's eyes glow because it is indeed the mutation of her that has made it out and not the actual character that we've been following. So it could be literal like that, like this literal swap that occurs. It could be more metaphorical. Like maybe the fake Lena was killed, but it doesn't matter because the Lena that we see come out is drastically changed from when she first entered. It doesn't matter if she made it out as she made it in. Like she's still mutated. Yeah, because she was still looking at her bruise and no matter what, like her stuff was fucked up, you know? Yeah, yeah. I thought the stuff about cancer was really, really interesting, especially because after reading this article, it's so obvious how entrenched into this movie these themes of cancer are. From the characters, to the imagery, to Lena's profession, different shots of cells mutating, conversations, the theme of women, which I think is really interesting that Matt Goldberg made that connection to the most common kind of cancer being breast cancer. 
And even the way they react, because you see Ventress being like, we just have to keep going. We just have to keep going. And you see Anya being angry Mm -hmm. and refusing to accept what it is. And then you see Cass, who seemed like a relatively strong character, get taken out almost immediately, like how quickly these things can. And then you see Lena intellectualizing it and trying to study it and trying to make it less scary by understanding how it works. And then you see Josie accepting it for what it is and just letting it take her. Mm -hmm. So even the way in which they are all reacting to the trauma of the shimmer is very reminiscent of how folks may react when diagnosed. Yes. And then, of course, the idea back to the cancer of the marriage something happens and it spreads throughout a marriage or a relationship. And of course, Lena's story, like this article mentioned, is the heart of the movie. What is going to happen with her and her husband? Where does this leave them? And I am really curious about the other novels in this trilogy that this movie is based off of, because I am wondering if there is more to find out about Lena and Kane. I'm curious about if this cancer allegory continues, if it's as intentional as it seems when everything is laid out in front of us. I think that this is really interesting. And after this reading especially ended up really enjoying it, I felt like it ended up making a lot more sense once I did some reading. I also think that the ambiguity that the film is left with is really neat. And I think that it's an appropriate ending for the film itself. Yeah, because we watched this movie together and we both walked away from it being like, what the fuck did we just watch? Because <laughs> I think it's really easy to get lost in like the cosmos of it all and the buttholes on the walls. Yes. And, but when thinking about this as an allegory and even thinking like, was the grenade the treatment? Was that eradicating the tumor? Yeah, is that chemotherapy? Is that chemotherapy? Like, is that embrace that they have at the end remission? Like, what yeah. does that look like? Like, it is really interesting to just keep pushing this metaphor into all aspects of the film and all the encounters that they have and even the relationship that the Shimmer has with time. Like how it feels like three, four days, but none of them feel it passing. Like it is so interesting to just push that metaphor and see how far it can take you and it's endless. So I really appreciate that there is such a direct metaphor for it that helps it become so digestible because I think this movie might turn the average horror viewer off with how heady it can be or how non-obviously horrific it is. But when you sit and think about it and just how uncomfortable it would be to just, again, be in that situation biologically, like, yeah, that's horrific. And that's Annihilation 2018. So if you want to keep in touch with us or reach out with any recommendations, stay tuned for some really cool things that we have planned coming up in the future. Definitely follow us on Instagram at The Horrors Podcast and or feel free to email us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, we're The Horrors. Bye. Bye. Bye.